Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat for the first time ever coming to you from London Colney. I'm Mark Manbrines from PA Media and today I'm joined by Sam Dean of The Telegraph, The Athletics' Art de Roche and ESPN's James Olley. Uh, we've all just been speaking to Mikel Arteta ahead of Sunday's trip to Brentford. Uh, guys, it wasn't the most interesting of Arteta press conferences, but Sam, I think the, the Ben White news seems to be the, the, had the rumour buzz at the end of the press conference, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the confusion, if confusion is the right word, over Ben White. So obviously, Ben White has been left out of England's squad, I think to the surprise of many people, um, given that he's played very well for the team that is currently top of the Premier League table. Um, and he's not in the squad and players like Connor Cody and Harry Maguire and others who perhaps haven't been quite as impressive this season are in the squad. So that's obviously led to some debate. Um, there have also been some suggestions that Ben White might be struggling a bit with fitness issues, but Arteta was pretty blunt on that, saying that, no, no, he is fully fit and available for the weekend. And his mission from Southgate squad is, is purely to do with um, selection, you know, selection reasons rather than fitness reasons which is interesting as well I think perhaps that's a debate about England maybe more than Arsenal but um, either way this will be a very interesting weekend for Ben White given Brentford away was the first competitive game of his Arsenal career last season and I think as anyone listening will remember it didn't go particularly well so he's uh, I'm sure going to have a sort of point to prove on that regard as well as to Gareth Southgate. James you asked him the questions about, about Ben White quite forthrightly were you surprised how, how unequivocally he was, given that he was also asked about injuries to likes of Zinchenko and players like that, and he, he wouldn't be drawn on that. But when you asked him about Ben White, is he fit? He literally looked you in the eye and said, yes. Yeah, I mean, Arteta's not the most forthcoming with team news generally. And I can understand why to some extent, you know, he's obviously trying to keep his cards close to his chest and he doesn't want to, to give Brentford any sort of early indication about how they might line up. However... This is a typical Premier League press conference and, you know, you go to most of them and a manager will tell you with a fair degree of commonality that, um, you know, these players are available, these players are a doubt and these players are out, you know. Um, so I think in that context, it was it was a bit of a, a, a bit of a surprising answer. I mean, I suppose, look, if he, if he starts and he plays 90 minutes and he's fine, then we'll be sat here, you know, in three days' time thinking, why were we all sat around trying to work out what was going on after the press conference? But I do think it's quite an interesting, on a wider point, because I know, you know, there's obviously a lot of criticism about how journalists report things and we've all got agendas and we're all nasty, horrible people who deserve to be locked up in sheds. But I, I, do, th I, do, <laughs> but I do think this is quite an interesting sort of case study in, in how this information is disseminated. So... You know, as Sam alluded to, there, there are well-informed um, suggestions that he might have a problem. And, you know, you are, as a journalist, obligated to check that out. And if the club, on the record, are unequivocal that that is not the case, you know, it's difficult then, you, you know, you can then be accused of having an agenda if literally the manager says this player is fit and you decide to report he isn't because you know something else. You've got to be really, really strong in that sourced information because obviously the manager's on record saying something different and that's a judgment call and that's, as, you know, as journalists we make them a lot and um, 
it certainly wasn't one I was expecting to make at 10 o'clock this morning, but that's the position we've sort of been putting at the end of this press conference. Oh, if you look at it and you're, if, say you're Ben White in this situation, all you're really worried about, I suppose, if you know your fit is, this is Southgate's last squad before a World Cup, isn't it? Yeah, I think when you look at the questions, I guess, Ben White is posing to Gareth Southgate, I think they're all very interesting because he offers something that not a lot of the defenders, let alone centre-backs, offer to Southgate in being able to play both uh, centre-back and, and right-back. And I think we've all seen how, I guess, how often Southgate flips between, I guess, systems, if you want to call it that. And he's probably the one player that <laughs> that almost fits into that mould um, pretty well. Obviously, you've got players like, I guess, Reese James, who does it quite well too. But... Um, I think if you're Ben White, I, I don't know if there's much else that he can do. Obviously, I think um, in terms of selection, Arteta was asked whether that would kind of come into his mind in terms of where he, he decides to play him. But I, I don't think it would um, really change much in Arteta's mind or White's mind, to be fair. I think, it, as Sam said earlier, it really is much more down to what England and Gareth Southgate want, which is quite... I don't think many people can see clearly at the minute. I mean, w one thing I would say to that is Southgate picked 12 defenders. I mean, 12. I was expecting someone to do that, you know, that four-nan, Jeremy, <laughs> four, that a meme of that with 12 defenders. I mean, that, that would suggest pretty strongly that he's going to pick a back three and then wing backs. Also including someone like Eric Dyer, I imagine would suggest that as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, look, we don't know because Gareth didn't do a press conference, so we weren't able to ask him any of these questions. It may be that there are three or four players in that squad that are carrying knocks. I think Carl Walker has got a problem. I think Luke Shaw might have an issue as well. So it might be that he's picked extra defenders and cover. But even then, if you take those two out, 10 defenders for two games is still a lot. That's still a lot. Um, and that would suggest that he's going to play five of them, um, you know, maybe twice and change the two teams. I've no idea what he's going to do, but but just the sheer volume of, of defenders suggests it's a it's a three man defence, and uh, you know, and, and what he wants from players who are playing out right back. And Ben White has done well there, but he's not a specialist right back. He's certainly not a wing back. And when you look at the profile of the, of the players that he likes in in that position, even someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, who who would would fit that role because he's better going forwards, you know, Trent, Carl Walker, uh, Kieran Trippier, and Reese James are all of a different type of profile to, to Ben White, and and I, it would be difficult, I think, for Gareth, someone who's very loyal to centre backs who are out of form, not been playing very much, like Harry Maguire. It'd be difficult to say, well, I'm going to pick Ben White ahead of you because he's been playing in a different position, but he has been playing, but you're a centre-half, but he's been playing a right-back. I think it just all gets quite confusing. So I think maybe that's the reason he's left him out because he's, he's just he's almost to the point of um, ridicule, loyal to certain players in, in that team. And I always remember, you, I think, you, Mark, you said about Steve Holland said, you know, England's man of the Euros was Connor Cody. And he didn't play a minute. I mean, that, that's that's bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but but it, but what it speaks to the idea that that that, that you know it's the, this. I mean, he doesn't have the strict no dickheads, all blacks policy, but but there is certainly an element of that, and it's about the character and the blend, and 
you know, he's very con. It's, I think it's one of the reasons why I know that Southgate's very reluctant to pick 26 players. He, he was at the Euros because he has this thing about when players aren't playing and you're all together for four or five weeks maybe and you've got a, a big chunk of players who are not playing. They're the ones that get bored and standards start to drop and they get chatty and you just start to lose the, the, that sort of culture of professionalism and, and motivation and focus that you need to win a tournament. <laughs> I do feel slightly sorry for Ben White because normally having a player who can play two positions so well would be an absolute strength, but it's just his bad luck that one of them happens to be right back for him. And that's a position where England have no need for any extra cover at all. And that and that's not a dig at him, which I, I put that tweet out yesterday and I was labelled both sick and embarrassing for that <laughs> for that particular... By your own fiancé. <laughs> exactly, she was fuming. Um, so that's, that's, that's just pure bad luck. And, and also, you know, Ben White, I think we all know, is he's quite a quiet guy and he's not a Connor Cody type personality. So, you know, you could easily make the argument that if you want someone who's not going to play many minutes but will be a really, really important character or, or figure behind the scenes in the squad, then Cody probably ticks that box more than White. But I think, you know, while it's very complicated, for me, if you boil it down to who are the best centre-backs available, Ben White would absolutely be in there for me and that's as simple as it is sometimes. Yeah, James touched on it there, and I think it's it's a good point, isn't it? Like, these are the last two games for the World Cup. He's picked quite a big squad. There's every chance that he's going to experiment in these two games, and I think that almost because England now can't win this uh, Nations League group, there's not really anything hanging on. They're almost friendlies to England now, aren't they? So it's almost worse for White that he's not been included because these aren't competitive games to that degree. These are experimental games before World Cup, and you're not even getting a looking on that. Then he must look at that and think. What, what can I do now? Especially if he's going to be playing at right back, and is Arteta going to change his team when he's got Saliba and, and Gabriel playing as well as they are? It's like it's not Arteta's job, it's not Arsenal's job to get Ben White into the England squad for the World Cup. As much as he told us here he'd like to see that happen, his his first job is is to win games as the Arsenal manager, isn't it? And I suppose that brings on nicely to to playing Brentford and, and what we saw last season. And you've just asked Art to name the team from that game last season, which he did, yeah, which he did quite well actually, yeah. Um, I think there was there's, how many of those players do you think would be involved tomorrow? Three, I think we worked it out to. But oh, this is such a different Arsenal team to the one that we saw in that in that game against Brentford last year, isn't it? Yeah, I think when you look at probably the start of even when Arsenal were playing well in the first half of last season, so around probably October time, it's still different from that because at that time they were very reliant on say Smith Rowe and Saka just running up the wings and then cutting it back. Whereas after that, I think especially in the first kind of few games of this season, you actually see them being able to work teams out on the pitch very quickly and and almost just impose themselves in the way that they actually want to kind of dictate a game. So seeing how Zinchenko's playing, Gabriel Jesus is obviously transforming how they play further upfield. And I just think from top to, to bottom, they, they are a very different team and every kind of element helps with that. So you've got, say, Ben White, you can play centre-back and right-back. But then if you want to flip that and play Tomiyasu, they might be a little bit different, but they're still very good and what kind of issues they can give teams. So um, I think even <laughs> even when they were playing well last year, I think they've gone up a level from that 
and probably better equipped to uh, different sorts of tests as well. So if you look at last season when um, they played, I think it was four Monday night games against Palace, Newcastle, Everton maybe, and someone else. They lost all of them on TV, under the lights, and they just they just collapsed. And I think you look at, say, Saliba, um, how he played at Crystal Palace, and even Ben White at Crystal Palace playing against Wilfred Zaha at right back. He he handled him tremendously. Um, so, yeah, I think as a, as a squad, they've just got a much more kind of solid makeup than, say, even three months ago, four months ago. They were very lightweight in that Brentford game because of all the issues with the squad as well. But also, if you look at the players that have come into the team, like Gabriel was missing that day, who's obviously a big lad. Saliba's come in, six foot four, hefty lad as well. Ben White, a right back, adds a lot of physical power. Party could be available in midfield. He wasn't there that night either. So there's a lot more sort of just physical heft, um, which they obviously didn't have against Brentford last season. And that was a big problem, especially with the second goal, for example, from a set piece. James, Ivan Tony, there'll be a lot of attention on him like there was in the All or Nothing documentary, obviously, when Arteta showed the tweet that he'd sent after that win last year. He's in the England squad. Ben might not, might not be, but Ivan Tony is. Just how good is he? And is, is he almost the way he plays the litmus test for, as Art was saying, how this Arsenal team has evolved since that game last year? Yeah, because he's... In, if you look at the way that Arteta wants to control matches, he's, ob- he's in such an obvious outball. For, for a team that wants to beat a press like that. And that'll be a key aspect of the game. You know, is, is can Brentford hit him to beat that press and can he hold the ball up and get others into play? Because if he can, then Brentford are obviously very dangerous on the transition. So, um, you know, you, you can see that being a real key aspect of the game. I mean, I, I thought, I know we've not really talked about the United game, but I, I did think <laughs> there was a little bit of an overreaction, I thought, to, to people sort of criticising the way Arsenal played. I think the mistake they made was they, they were too open with 20 minutes. I thought the changes were wrong. And they were actually they, they only lost that game because they lost control of it. Um, and I, we, <laughs> we didn't really touch on that with, with Mikel today, but I, I do think that that's a lesson they can take from that. And the periods where, particularly after half-time, they controlled the game completely at Old Trafford. And th- that's, that's the blueprint for what they need to go and do um, to Brentford. And, but obviously, Tony's going to be the key part about, about when they do lose it, how quickly they can get men round him, stop the supply to him. Because if he can, if he can you know, hold the ball up and bring others into play, he's obviously a huge threat. Great quiz question for you. Go. I think I'm actually, now I've, now I've said this, I'm now concerned it's wrong. Uh, can you tell me which Arsenal player is a former club teammate of Ivan Tony? So he played for... Oh, Benjamin White. Correct. At where? Peterborough, I believe. There you go. Right, now, frantically going to check with the... <laughs> you, now, yeah, there you go. Well, facts. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We should, have left, we should have left that hanging until the end, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> In terms of in terms of the Brentford game, Sam, it comes on the back of two postponements for Arsenal. Is that a good thing going into this game, or, or will, will do you think they could get caught cold, or, or how will, how will they approach that? I imagine in an ideal world, Arteta would have had a week between games, not any longer. I, I think not playing on Thursday, as in yesterday, from when we're recording, not playing Thursday Sunday probably suits them. But I'm pretty sure he would have rather they played last weekend and had a full five days to prepare six days to prepare in between um, I mean Brentford are in the same boat obviously so 
the lack of sharpness or whatever it might be or rhythm will affect both teams. Um, unfortunately for Arsenal, the way they play is probably more reliant on rhythm and, and passing networks and everything being really sharp, whereas I think Brentford are going to... While Brentford can play very nice football, I think on this occasion they will probably be trying to hit Tony early, as James says, and um, and making life difficult for Arsenal. So you can see that being more of an issue for Arsenal, but what can you do? One thing I would say, though, is just to look at that in a different way, is to say, and I did ask Mikel, he didn't really go there on it, but, you know... You surprised, you surprised me. Yeah. Ch- Chelsea not playing this weekend, Liverpool, Brighton, Man United, all not playing this weekend. Obviously, that means they'll have a game in hand, but say they win at Brentford, you know, th- they're going to go, what, eight points clear of Chelsea, nine ahead of Liverpool, um, six ahead of United. I mean, it's these are... I know it's September and there's seven games played, or they will have done by that by Sunday. But those are decent numbers, you know. They, those are that, that's a cushion where, just as we've seen with the, with the Old Trafford defeat already, they could go there and lose, and they're still top of the league, and that that means a lot to this team, I think, because they are, and they have been for a long time mentally fragile. That's something that Arteta's worked hard on. It was something that Emery tried to address when he came in. It was obviously a big aspect towards the end of the Arsenal Wenger era. You know about responding to adversity. Matt asked him in the press conference about you know you're still quite a streaky team. You might go and win five or six, and then you might if you if you have a loss, it tends to be compounded by a poor result the next week or a poor performance. They, you know there have been really encouraging signs within the matches that when they've conceded, they've scored very quickly, and that's great, and that feels like a, a good step forward for them. But there is still that question mark about can they sustain it over a 38 game season to. To stay in the top four, and, and I do, and I, which is why I do think Sunday's quite a big game in that context, because those are big, those are big gaps this early in the season. Even if those sides will obviously have a game in hand. We don't know, and nobody can know, the impact of the World Cup this year. But you would think logically it would be very helpful to get quite a lot of points on the board early because we have no idea in in what state or condition players will come back from that World Cup or how long it will take players to get back into run of games. Let, let's say England win it and Harry Kane plays every minute of every game. And Ben White. And Ben White, yeah. Yeah, just blood seeping down his shirt. Um, if England do win it and go all the way, there will be a lot of players who are absolutely drained physically and mentally um, and we don't know what kind of impact that will have on teams so to get points in early I think this year more than any other year is probably going to be quite valuable I think that I think me and Sam have spoken about it before but with looking at Saka how much football he's played at tw- he's turned 21 last week last Monday and he's already played 160 37, I think it is, Arsenal games. Be more specific. <laughs> well, I only know because I wrote about it. How many, <laughs> but, how many minutes? Yeah, but um, actually, for minutes, he was, um, from the start of last season, he'd played more than any yeah. under-21 player in the top five leagues in Europe. And more so, than any other Arsenal player, full stop. Exactly. So I think I did ask Arteta about it in Zurich, like whether he has a plan to kind of just almost protect Saka's minutes in a similar way he did with Martinelli, Martinelli when, if we remember, about 18 months ago, I think everyone was quite surprised. There were times where Martinelli was on the bench and he wasn't even coming on for games where Arsenal winning 3-1 away at Leicester. Um, and I think he's probably benefited from that now where you see 
he's actually getting consistent minutes and he's fairly, um, I guess, reliable. Um, so I think with Saka, he's probably the one where I'd be looking at saying, okay, when when is he going to get his downtime before the World Cup? Because, you know, Gareth Southgate loves to use him as well. Well, but the, the other issue there, though within England context is that he's not guaranteed to start for England and he, he'll, you know these two games the England games are huge for Saka because he's got a competition where you assume obviously Kane will play through the middle you would assume Sterling will play so there's one position up for grabs there with Foden and I think Foden is probably ahead of Saka at the moment you know you've got Grealish obviously Sancho wasn't even in the squad he's trying to get in I, I get what you mean, and there, and there's got to come a point where he does need a break, obviously, because he's yeah he's played too much football. Um, but I, I think if you ask, I mean I suppose if you ask any player, they'd want to play. But I think given where he is in the squad and that he's right on the cusp of being in that starting lineup for England at the World Cup, he'll say I want to go and play in these two games because if say say he has two really big impacts against two top sides, they're playing you know Italy and Germany. That will that could make the difference for him. That you know we're only talking about a couple of months till the World Cup. That that could in given how loyal Gareth is and he does think about things in those snapshots of those international breaks. Is the only reason players like Cody and Maguire are still in the squad because he thinks about you know we all forgot I I had to look up the matches. I couldn't remember having I was at two of them and I couldn't remember them. Um, but Gareth, you know, obviously being the manager, he, he, he takes that into much greater stock than necessarily the last six games you might have played or ten games you played for your club, although that's obviously a factor as well. So I do think Saka's in that position where personally, in an England context, he can't afford to have a break at the moment. I do wonder if with that England system, and you, you touched on it, James, about three at the back, you look at the left-backs or the left-wing-backs that are uh, on option to him. Shaw's not playing. Chilwell's only just got back to him. I wonder if that's... Potentially, how Saka gets into that England team. I know he's played there a while under under Southgate, hasn't he? And he gives you that attacking option. So, so there is definitely that there. Sam, just just pulling it back to to Brentford and, and the final question. James said it's a big game, and the sense that you're going into an international break, you're coming straight out of it into an early kickoff from North London derby. They they almost need to win for that momentum to to carry on, don't they? Do you think? Yeah, it's a tough one. Momentum, given there is, they will just then go away on international games afterwards. Not all of them. Not all of them, no. <laughs> Absolutely. Got to work on their fitness. <laughs> yeah. um, Zinchenko as well, that's a weird one. We didn't talk about Zinchenko. Um, Ukraine FA says he's out for two weeks. Arteta said he might be available this weekend. <laughs> so that's interesting to see how that one goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a big game. I think also, for me, more than uh, the derby coming up next, it's it's the back-to-back defeats after United would be the sort of the thing hanging over them a bit. Because suddenly you're staring down the face of three defeats in a row and that lovely start to the season is very long ago in the in the distant memory really so yeah I mean momentum obviously matters but for me it's sort of getting back on the horse after the United defeat it's all a waste of time anyway because he's one manager of the month so we know they're going to lose 3-0 on Sunday don't we um, sleep with the award what was it he said <laughs> yeah, something like that, very odd he, he wants to turn it into an award that people can be can look forward to winning I think was basically the gist of it the yeah but so we will see how he gets on on Sunday. We'll see if if he ends up sleeping with the award, which is something I never thought I'd say. Um, <laughs> due to it being international break, we have hopefully a show for you guys next week uh, on Thursday next week. We have our Gabriel Jesus special. Sam and Art, you're a part of that. James, you're not because I, I think I just asked you once you told me you couldn't do a certain date, so I apologise. Um, but you will enjoy listening to Sam and Art and also Tim Vickery. Tim Vickery. 
Tim Vickery comes in. Uh, Paul Hurst and Jack Gorner on talking about Gabriel Jesus' time at Man City. It's they know their stuff, those boys. They do. And they know Art knows ball. And um, yeah, I, I might have produced it, but it is very good. So do listen to that and, <laughs> and stay safe. Stay safe.